morning church. Um, the reading this morning is taken from Matthew 5, um, verses 33 to 37. That's Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Oaths. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. That is God's word. Great to be here this morning on this Racial Justice Sunday when this year the churches together in Britain and, and Ireland mark the 30th year anniversary of the passing of Stephen Lawrence. And you can imagine, Eltham is in my area where I am bishop. So today, can you imagine a black bishop is in charge of the area where Stephen Lawrence was murdered? Isn't God good? In the wisdom of God, I am really privileged and honored with my wife to be here today to see what amazing things God is doing amongst you. I came here over 10 years ago in the old time when it was under um, the former vicar. And it's just so wonderful to walk in here this morning and to see the new extension and all that God has been doing amongst you. What a lovely congregation. Very excited about the number of children and young people. Keep it up. Today, as we celebrate as God's people, I want to remind all of us, those who are here, those who are listening on the live stream, and those who hear me later in the evening, that we are all members of one family. It doesn't matter where you come from. Imagine, I was born thousands of miles away in West Africa, in a country called Nigeria. Some of you might know about it. My wife and I, met in medical school, that's where we studied to be doctors. And God gave us a missionary calling to come to the family of the church in England as missionaries. Can you just imagine it? And 33 years later, I'm a bishop in the Church of England. Isn't that God good? Isn't God good? Could I have arranged that? Could anybody have arranged that? That's because we are all members of one big family. And as I said earlier on to Emily and my wife and her friend, today you are in this church, not because you've chosen to be here. God brought you here. Remember that. Just as we do not choose the families into which we are born, God leads us to the church he wants us to go to. You may think you've decided to come here as your church, but who laid it on your heart, in your spirit, to come here? The Almighty God. Because he's the sovereign king over all our choices. He reigns supreme over everything 
concerning us as his children. So no matter your age, your experience, your status, your race, wherever you're from, remember this one thing. God loves you. As we've sang this morning in the songs, he loves you unconditionally. And he gave his life in his son for your salvation. So today as we reflect on the word of God for us from Matthew's gospel, I want to share a few thoughts with you on that very exciting passage. I love this Sermon on the Mount so much. I love it not because of what it has done to me, but because it is the word of God. And one thing about this Sermon on the Mount is that every Christian today needs to master it because it is the Christian counterculture described by many as the way God calls us to live our lives in a world that is so different from what he calls us to do. So the Bible tells us in the Sermon on Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 that we are like a salmon in the North Sea flowing and swimming against the tide. And you know why salmons do that? They naturally do that because they don't want to be killed. Because if they flow with the tide, the tide will take them where they don't want to go. Crash them against the stone. Crash them against a tree tree or an undergrowth in the river. And they'll lose their lives. So salmons intentionally swim against the tide because they want to decide which way they go. That's the calling on each and every one of us. So as we turn to our text today, remember that God has called you this morning to think about truth and integrity in a world that has been described as a post-truth world. We have repeatedly been told that we live in a post-truth era. Perhaps because of the politics of our day. Perhaps because of the interests of other people. But there's something quite interesting about it all. It is because we've transited from an era of truth to an era where truth no longer matters. We've seen it in the social media, the internet. Perhaps through the rise of Donald Trump or President Putin and his politics, or coming nearer home, Bojo, our own prime minister, former prime minister and his government, where truth no longer mattered. There was a time when the Englishman's word was described as his bond. You remember that time? Gone are those times. Today, even in the church, truth can be very scarcely found. As I prepared, I came across a story about one of Britain's greatest prime ministers, Lord Sir Winston Churchill. And this is a true story, which he told himself. He said, one day, I had an interview at the BBC. So I took a taxi to the BBC. When I arrived, I asked the driver to wait for me for 40 minutes until 
I'll get back. But the driver said, oh, sir, I'm sorry. I can't because I have to go home to listen to Winston Churchill's speech. <laughs> Winston Churchill went on and said, I was amazed and delighted with this man's desire to listen to my speech. So I took out 20 pounds and gave it to the taxi driver instead of five pounds without telling him who I was. And listen to what happened next. When the driver collected the 20 pounds, he said to me, looking over, I'll wait for hours until you come back, sir, and let Churchill go to hell. That's the world in which we live today. And so in our Bible reading, Jesus was pointing out this very same point to his audience. Again, he said to them, it was said to people like you and your family long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Over and over, the people of God had been told in scriptures, because the third commandment said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment number three, Exodus 27. And there were other Bible injunctions, like Leviticus 19.12, that said, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or Numbers 30, verses 1 to 2. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man takes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So Jesus was paraphrasing all of the scriptures when he said to them, you have heard do not break the oath that you make unto the Lord. Fulfill your vows. Because he was speaking to a people who had not only broken that rule, but had developed ways and means of fulfilling their evil intentions. And what did they do? The Pharisees, the leaders, the scribes, and the rabbis thought their people that it was all right for them to make vows as long as they didn't use the name of Yahweh in the vow. If they didn't use the divine name of Yahweh, then they could make vows either by the temple or by the gold in the temple or whatever they wanted to. And that those vows were retractable because as long as they didn't use the name of Yahweh, they didn't take the name of the Lord in vain, then the vows or oaths could be retractable. So it meant that they were no longer going to be people of their word. That was why Jesus said to them, you've been told of old, do not break your vows. Because however they look, you look at it, even if you made a vow, Jesus went on to say, even if you make a vow by heaven, heaven is the throne of God. So God is indirectly mentioned in that vow. Or if you choose to make a vow 
by the earth. The earth is God's footstool. God is indirectly mentioned in that vow. Or if you chose to make a vow by Jerusalem, that is the city of God. Zion is the city of great king. He is indirectly related in that vow. So there's no way around that Jesus was saying to them. The only thing to do is to avoid making vows in your communication with each other. So what was he talking about? He was secondly talking about the fact that it was important for them to remember that as family members, they had the responsibility to communicate what they meant and to mean what they say to each other and to avoid being wicked or deceitful in their communications. And Jesus was therefore challenging the practice of the day where the rabbis had taught people that they could make vows to each other and as long as they hadn't mentioned the divine name of Yahweh, they could retract them. Just imagine somebody making you a promise and then retracting it. How would you feel? Awful, isn't it? That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Don't do to other people how you do not want them to do to you. That's what he was basically saying. And so Jesus referred to them as wicked and self-centered people, basically sinful. Therefore, they tried to get around the law of Yahweh by making those injunctions. And in another part of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said these words to them. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. Remember, it is a temple of God. And Jesus said, therefore, if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he's bound to that oath. Because, of course, gold had material value to them. You get it? You blind fools, he said. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies or makes the gold sacred? And you see what Jesus was saying? So Jesus was saying to them, you are trying to get around a problem by actually creating more problems. It's a bit like when you tell a lie today. You have to tell many more lies, isn't it, to cover up the lie you've already told. And then you forget which lie you've told, then you get into trouble for not remembering which lies you've already told. Isn't that true? I see some of you smiling. That's the human experience, isn't it? So Jesus was saying to them, my brothers and sisters, grow up. Grow up, he said. If anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, he said, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And I say to you, let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. 
So Jesus was teaching a culture of truth and integrity. Boy, don't we need it today in our world. In a, in a country that, has, that is living through its post-Christian era, you can see why the Englishman's word is no longer his bond. Because we've gone from a time of Christian consciousness to a time of a post-Christian consciousness. We've gone from a time of Christian philosophies to a time of post-modern philosophies. And that's the problem. That is the biggest part of the problem. And we cannot run away from it. And we have to pay praise so hard for our nation to return to God. Because it's only in God that we can find true integrity and true truth. Because Jesus is the truth. I'm not talking about relative truths now. I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just think about it. Jesus is the truth. He's the real revelation of God's truth. And so when you see Christ, you've seen the triune God. Because the godness of God, the fullness of God bodily dwelt in him when he came on earth. And so anything else we do out of being people of truth and integrity could be due to one or two reasons. When our nay is not nay, or our yea is not yea, it could be because we are deceitful or evil intentioned. And trying to cover up our tracks. Or it could be because we are allowing Satan, the devil, the evil one, to act through us. That is why it's very important for us to think seriously about these verses, even for today. Just thinking about what a very renowned New Testament scholar said, Dr. Reverend Dr. John Stott. He was a former rector of All Souls Langham Place. He's of blessed memory now. Thank God that one day we shall all be gathered with John Stott at the foot of the cross. He was a fine and committed Christian minister of the gospel unto the end. This is what he said. That that being so, the real implication of the law is that we must keep our promises and be people of our word. That being so, the real implication of the law is that we must keep our promises and be people of our word. So what shall we say then? Reflecting personally on this high expectation from God. We cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot do it on our own. We can only do it by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because basically, we're a bad job. We're sinners. Born into sin, grown up in sin, until we meet Jesus we live in self-centered, sinful, wicked lives. That's why it's so important to give thanks daily for the grace that God gives us through bringing us into his family through the love of Jesus Christ.
And Paul the Apostle was thinking exactly about that same point when he wrote to the Corinthian church. And just to remind you, Corinth was a place of immorality. Corinth was the place where all the down and outs in the Roman Empire were sent and exported to. They were deported to Corinth to live a life of whatever they called it. So when the Corinthians became Christians, it was a very high faluting point. Very significant day for the church. And Paul wrote to them and said, remember before your conversion, many of you were not noble men. You were not important. You were crooks, criminals, and dodgy people, basically. And so he said in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we no longer do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That's the call to all of us, to leave the old behind and to take up the new, to put off the old and to take on the new as part of God's calling on our lives by the Holy Spirit. And then we'll be able to become people of true integrity and truth. The old has gone and the new has come. I came across a story of a young boy in an arts class. Very moving story, but true story. The arts teacher said to the classroom, I want you to do some imaginative arts drawing this morning. I want you to draw a cow and then draw some grass around the cow to make it look like the cow is grazing. You get it? Yes, miss, he said. And after a short while, the teacher went around the class from desk to desk, inspecting the work being done by her students. And then she came up to a desk and said, Amin, which was the name of this nine-year-old boy, why haven't you done the assignment? Knowing he was in deep trouble, he said to the teacher, Miss, I did the assignment. And she said, but your page, your arts book page is blank. Oh, no, Miss, this is what happened. I can explain. Miss, he said, I drew the cow and then drew the grass around the cow. The cow ate the grass and walked away. <laughs> That's what God is calling us to, not to embellish the truth or be economical about it or to try and extrapolate it, but to speak it as it is. Not like this little boy. Today, as I finish, my friends, let your ye be ye. Let all of us be people of integrity, people of truth. Let us be known as Christians who will speak the truth even at the extent, to the extent of personal sacrifices. Don't try to be like the world 
around you. When I was a parish priest, I used to have a very interesting experience of asking people to do stuff or to attend the program. And they'll say to me, oh, Reverend Carroll, I'm not quite sure, but I'll let you know nearer the time if I'll be able to come and do it. And all they were doing was playing games. You know why? They were trying to see if there was anything better to do that evening before committing themselves. Because if they had something better to do, they would go to that thing and not come to church. When actually they knew that their time was free and they could commit themselves. And today we see it in our world. Part of the lack of truthfulness is seen in lack of commitments that people are not prepared to make. God calls us to be committed in our relationships to each other, especially in the church and in the world in which we live, so that people would know us as Christians who are followers of Jesus Christ, who will tell the truth no matter what the situation is. And when all the shops come down, they will come to you to ask for the, questions, the answers. And I have found that in my own experience. After all said and done, because people know that you're a Christian in the department, when they want the truth, they'll come and ask you to tell them what you saw and what happened. So let us not be like that taxi driver or that young boy. Let us be people of integrity. Let us let our yea be yea and our nay, nay in a post-truth world. Let us shine the light of Christ through our relationships and what we say or do not say. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle James, the brother of the Lord Jesus said this as I finish. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, neither by heaven nor by the earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simple. All you need to say is simple. Yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned or exposing yourself to condemnation. That's from James chapter 5, verse 12. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy and the privilege of being called your children. Help us to live your life in our world that is so turned away from you. And we thank you that you have called us to shine your light in the way we relate to each other and to other people around us. Help us to be people of integrity, to continue to shine the light of Christ through our integrity and through our truthfulness and letting our yea be yea and our nay, nay, so that we will be people whose word will be their bond. Thank you for hearing us. We ask this, that your Holy Spirit will empower us to live in the way you've called us to. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.